before we start, I'll just say, I know that my face is red. You don't have to tell me. We went and served pizza uh, with Teen Flow in the park today. And in February in Odessa, you can get a sunburn. And so Amen. I did today. And uh, so we served, I think we served 180 kids pizza today. And uh, I think that was their biggest group yet. I'm not sure about that. But had a good group. And uh, we will do that again at some point. If you weren't able to come today and you want to come down and help serve pizza, we would love to have you. So, book of Proverbs. Found it in your Bible. And now we are going to review the test. And there's 13 statements. And I asked you to tell me, are they in the Bible or are they not in the Bible? And so, our maestro upstairs, Mr. Lucas is going to put them up on the screen one at a time. And the first one is, God won't give you more than you can handle. Here we go, thumbs up or down? In there, not in there. And the answer is, no. It is not in there. If you want to look up 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you can jot that down. I'll give you some references as we go through these. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 talks about God not tempting you beyond what you can resist. That's entirely different than saying God won't give you something you can't handle. In fact, Paul elsewhere tells the Corinthians, he describes a situation in his life and he says, we were burdened beyond life itself. We, we were crushed beyond hope. It was more than we could handle. So first one, no. Number two, righteousness exalts a nation. In there? Not in there. And the answer is blue. It's in there. Proverbs 14, 34. If you want to jot that down. Righteousness exalts a nation. It is in the Bible. Number three. Uh, one of my favorites. This too shall pass. Yes or no? The answer is no. And this is funny. Do you know where that came from? Do you know what popularized that? Mike Ditka. When Mike Ditka got fired by the Bears as head coach, he had a press conference. And in his press conference, he said, you know, the Bible says this too shall pass. No, it doesn't, Mike. Not in the Bible. Number four. Uh, no, because it's not in there. Mike Ditka. Yeah, write that out beside, Mike, Mike Ditka, Bears. Yeah, that's right. Number four, give strong drink to the one who is perishing. Yes or no? Ooh, lots of thumbs down. Sorry, it's in there. It's in there, Proverbs 31.6. Jot it down, look it up. Okay, when I, when I gave this to you and you guys were cheating and looking on your phones and opening your Bibles, I told you, be very careful. The next one, spare the rod, spoil the child. Yes or no? The answer is no. Proverbs 13.24 says, if you spare the rod, you hate your son. The one who spares the rod hates his son. But that is a popularized paraphrase, I guess you could say. So that one is not in there. Anybody perfect so far? One, two, three perfect so far. I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. Next, gray hair is a crown of glory. Yes or no? It's in there. Yes, it is. Proverbs 16.31. 16.31. Next. God helps those who help themselves. Yes or no? The answer is no. That came from Benjamin Franklin, who was not a Christian. Benjamin Franklin said that. Next. This is a good one. Wealth brings many new friends. You heard about the Powerball people? Three, I think three people split that last Powerball. I, that, whether it's in the Bible or not, they'll tell you this is true. They have a lot of new friends that they didn't have a few weeks ago. The answer is yes. That is in the Bible. Proverbs 19.4. Next. I know you've heard the next one. 
whether it's in there or not, God works in mysterious ways. Yes or no? Yes or no? The answer is no. That came from a guy named William Cooper. And when you look at his name, it looks like Cowper, C-O-W-P-E-R. William Cooper wrote a hymn that has a phrase close to that. And it just stuck in Americana. And there you go. God works in mysterious ways. Next one. Borrower is slave of the lender. Yes or no? Dave Ramsey says yes. Borrower is slave of the lender. Proverbs 22.7. 22.7. Okay, I think this is 11, number 11. Cleanliness is next to godliness. Yes or no? I really wish this one was in there, but it is not in there. It is not in the Bible. It came from John Wesley, founder of the Methodist movement, Methodism, Methodist churches. That's John Wesley. Number 12. It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. Is that in the Bible? Gary Riggs has two thumbs up. Gary. <laughs> it's in there. Yes. Proverbs 21 9. There's also one that says it's better to live with a constant drip than with a quarrelsome wife. I have a good friend that every now and then he looks at his wife and he says, drip, 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 drip. <laughs> Leon, yeah, write that down so you don't forget that. That's a good one. Okay, wait a minute. Last one. Who's perfect? Anybody perfect? Missed one. Missed one. So we still have two that are perfect. Number 13. Pride goes before a fall. Yes or no? Uh, I told you to be careful. The answer is no. What? What? You can look up Proverbs 16, 18, and I'm pretty sure it says pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Uh, see? See what I did there? Tricky, tricky, tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky. Anybody perfect? Amy Riggs. Gary, she's the only perfect one. Tonight you're going to have to use the drip, drip. <laughs> yeah, that's what she tells you. Okay, so there you go. Book of Proverbs test. Um, in all honesty, okay, Proverbs is a strange book, okay? Proverbs is one of those books that sometimes you hear something and you think, yeah, I think that sounds biblical. And you say, I don't know where that's at. That's probably in Proverbs somewhere. That sounds like something that you'd read in the book of Proverbs. And we just throw all this sort of weird stuff into the book of Proverbs and it's not there. Um, on the one hand, when you read Proverbs, it's very simple, right? It's very straightforward. On the other hand, I'm just warning you, it's extremely tricky. And both of those things can be true. And the problem is our understanding of how to interpret the book of Proverbs, which we're going to talk about tonight. Um, sometimes we assume things are there that aren't there. Sometimes uh, we ignore the things that are there in the book of Proverbs. Sometimes we misinterpret excuse me, or we misunderstand things in the book of Proverbs. And so on the one hand, when you read Proverbs, it's one of the most practical, easy to apply to your life books in the whole Bible. It's also very, very dangerous. And I told you a few weeks ago when we, when we talked about the book of Job and we jumped into the wisdom literature, I told you that the book of Proverbs has made a lot of TV preachers extraordinarily rich and successful. And the reason they like the book of Proverbs is because they can quote the Bible and many, many people will never open it to read it in its context. Many people will never compare it to other passages in the Bible and try to understand it. And when somebody quotes a Bible verse and gives you a reference, and they're a preacher, you sort of say, well, sounds like he knows what he's talking about. And they're really misusing the book of Proverbs in a dangerous way. So um, putting it in the, in the section that it falls in, 
It is part of the wisdom literature in the Bible. And this is just, again, a summary of the wisdom books. There's five of them. Job and Ecclesiastes are reflective wisdom. And I'll, if, if you've forgotten these, I'll explain them in a minute. Book of Psalms is a book about worship. Whether you take it as prayers or songs or poems or whatever, it's, it's really a book about worship. Book of Proverbs is instructive wisdom. Not reflective, but instructive. And then the Song of Solomon is a book about marriage. So, reflective wisdom. Just to remind you, reflective and instructive. Proverbs is instructive. Um, It is um, presenting basic truths about life. Job and Ecclesiastes are sort of the counter-argument to Proverbs. Okay? If the health and wealth preachers would quote Job and Ecclesiastes as much as they quote Proverbs, their theology would be completely different. Because Proverbs sort of says, this is basically how things work in life, and then Job and Ecclesiastes say, but not always. There's exceptions. And Proverbs seems to be so straightforward and just direct and to the point, and Job and Ecclesiastes really make you think and scratch your head and wrestle with what's going on there. So different types of of wisdom literature. Let me give you the outline of the book. It's really, really simple. It's not based on theme, although you can find some sections within Proverbs that focus on particular themes. You can't outline the book that way. Uh, Chapters 1 to 24 are Proverbs of Solomon. Chapters 25 to 29 are, and we're going to look at these in a minute, Proverbs of Solomon that were copied down by the scribes of King Hezekiah. And so they're copied by Hezekiah and his scribes. Chapter 30 is words of Agur, son of Jehek. And chapter 31 are words of King Lemuel. And so I don't know if you've ever noticed this within the book of Proverbs, but once you jot those down, I just want you to see this. Look at Proverbs 1, 1. It says the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And that section continues all the way to chapter 25. And then in chapter 25, verse 1, it says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. So, new section begins there. And then flip over and look at chapter 30. It says, The words of Agur, son of Jacka, and I think I spelled it wrong up on the screen. I don't know if I did that on your outline, but it's Jacka, not Jehek, Jacka. Uh, and then chapter 31 the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So typically when you think about the book of Proverbs, you hear people refer to it as a book that Solomon wrote. And that ought to be obvious when you look at that outline. All but two of the very last chapters are attributed to him. Either he wrote them down or the scribes of Hezekiah copied what he had written down and added those later. But the idea ought to be pretty simple. This was not a book that someone sat down and wrote in one sitting. Right? This is a collection of things that were compiled over time, and Solomon sort of made a collection, and then later they added some more of the things Solomon wrote to the collection, and then Agur added on, and then Lemuel added on, uh, and that happened over time. But typically you say, yes, this was written by Solomon. Now, let's talk about an important word, okay? Let's talk about the word hermeneutics. You have maybe never heard that word, but this was my favorite class, I think, in seminary. And the class that more times than any other class, as I sat in that class, I thought, people in church need to understand these things. And basically, hermeneutics is the science of interpreting the Bible. And sometimes you hear debates about, well, how do you interpret the Bible? Do you take it literally? And you've got to be careful when you answer that question. Because you've got to say, well, what do you mean? Do I take it literally? Do I look at um, the Song of Solomon, which we'll look at next week? Do I look at that book and do I interpret it literally when he compares his wife to a flock of sheep? Literally? He looks like sheep? No, not literally. But you take it seriously and you understand what it is as literature. It's poetry. 
But you also understand that some passages of the Bible are not poetry, they're history. And you understand that sometimes Jesus, as a man communicating with men, used forms of speech. So when Jesus said, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of heaven with one hand than with two and, be go and go to hell, you say, do you take that literally? Why haven't you cut your hand off? Why haven't you plucked your eye out? Well, I I'm taking it seriously, but I think Jesus is using a figure of speech. Okay, So hermeneutics, how do we interpret the Bible? And Proverbs is unique. And so I just want to give you a few ideas, a few things to think about uh, in the book of Proverbs. First, I just want you to see there's different types of Proverbs. And just sort of having this category in your brain, I think, helps you when you read through the book. So these are not all of the types, but these are the three most common. Number one, there's wisdom poetry. And uh, take your Bible. That should say 31, not 21. My typo again. There's two, two strikes. Look at Proverbs 31, verse 10 to 31. This is wisdom poetry. And we're not going to read all of it, but we'll read a little bit of it so you get the feel. Proverbs 31, verse 10. An excellent wife, who can find? She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night, provides food for her household, portions for her maidens, considers the field and buys it with the fruit of her hand. She plants a vineyard. On and on and goes, it's a poem, okay? It's wisdom, poetry, uh, as opposed to worship poetry that you find in the book of Psalms. It's also poetry and psalms, but it's worship directed to God. This is instruction directed to you and me to make us wise. Okay, so that's one type. Second type are two-line proverbs. And you find a lot of these from chapters 10 to 29 especially. And so let's look at these examples. Look at Proverbs 22, verse 7. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Okay? Two lines, and basically they're saying the exact same thing. Right? It's making a statement, and then it's saying the same principle differently to help you understand it. So it's, this is truth, this is truth, and they're both positive, or sometimes they're both negative, uh, but both of the lines say the exact same thing. Now look at chapter 10, Proverbs 10, verse 1. Sometimes there's two statements and they're mirror images. One's positive and the other's negative, or one's negative and the other's positive. Proverbs 10, 1. A wise son makes, his, makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. Okay, wise, glad father, Foolish, sorrow to the mother. Mirror images there communicating, communicating one big idea. And then look at chapter 17, verse 1. Sometimes the second line will compare or illustrate or explain the first line. Proverbs 17, 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So a dry morsel and quiet is good, and then the, the comparison is, the explanation is, it's better than a house full of feasting with strife. But all of those, especially from chapter 10 to 29, are two-line proverbs, and that's just sort of the rhythm of the book, right? You're reading two lines at a time, and sometimes you'll string together several proverbs, so it'll be a four-line or a six-line or an eight-line or longer, but the idea is that, that uh, a lot of two-line proverbs. And then... One more example is numerical sayings. Look at Proverbs 30. And we'll just read one of these. Proverbs 30, verse 18 and 19. It says, Three things are too wonderful for me, four I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a virgin. Now, if you're going to be just stupidly literal you look at that and you say 
Three are too wonderful. Four I don't understand. Which one is not in the three? Because he gives four things, and he talks about three of them, and you try to figure out, well, is it the, is it the way of an eagle that is not too wonderful, but he doesn't understand? And you just say, no, 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 that's just the style of writing, right? It's like somebody writing a love song today and say, there's a million reasons I love you. You don't say, okay, let's count them off, number one. You just say, you mean there's a lot, a lot of things I love about you. And that's what they're doing here, and you find those through the book. Uh, three things, four things, you don't have to be woodenly literal, you just understand this is poetry. So you find these numerical sayings. So again, trying to help you understand how to interpret Proverbs. Second thing you need to know is this, the whole book is addressed to young men. The whole book is addressed to young men. Solomon wrote most of it, and he talks throughout the book to the person he's writing to, calling him my son, right? So he's talking to his boys or one of his boys, his children, and he's passing down this wisdom to the next generation. It's not surprising when you understand this that two of the main issues in the book of Proverbs are violence and sex. What do young men need to understand if they're going to be wise in the world? You need to understand biblical wisdom about violence. You need to understand biblical wisdom about sex. And so I'll give you some scriptures you can jot down if you want to read about that. Proverbs 1, 8 to 19 talks about violence right out of the gate. Chapter 1, 8 to 19. And there's many passages that talk about different aspects of sex, but uh, one extended passage is chapter 7. Proverbs 7, 1 to 27. Okay? Addressed to young men. Even if you look at Proverbs 31, go back to Proverbs 31, right? We started reading this, this poem about an excellent wife. Um, even this poem about an excellent wife is focused on the husband of the wife, right? Look how it starts. An excellent wife who can find. So he's talking about what kind of person can find this wife, or to my son, what kind of wife should you be looking for? He's not writing directly to women, but he's writing to his sons, saying this is the kind of woman that you ought to look for. And the whole poem here uh, sort of meets in the middle. If you look right in the middle, it's Proverbs 31, verse 23, uh, and look what the middle of the poem says. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And in Hebrew poetry, the middle of the poem is the most important point. You find that in the Old Testament and the New Testament in different passages. That they sort of write what's called a chiasm. And the first part of the poem corresponds to the last part of the poem. And then part two corresponds to the second to last. And part three corresponds to the third to last. And it meets in the middle. And the middle is the most important part or the, the central idea. And it's talking here about when you have this kind of wife, verse 23, your husband has a good reputation. And so the point is he's writing to, uh, to his sons. Now, you've got to understand this too. That's who he's writing to, but there's application beyond just young men. Right? We're all on the same page. That doesn't mean women or young women or old women can't learn from the book of Proverbs. But what you have to do, and this is the next thing on your outline here, you've got to try to understand the words so then you can back up and understand the principle when you're reading Proverbs. You've got to understand the specifics of the situation, the specifics of the word, and then you sort of back it up to the overarching principle. And so uh, I'll give you one example of this. Look at Proverbs 7. Proverbs 7. says, my son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. Now just stop, okay? You read one to five. 
the first words correspond to the last words. Look at the last words in Proverbs 7. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray to her past. Many a victim she's laid low. All her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. So that last section says, listen, 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 listen. And the first section says, listen, pay attention. Listen, listen, listen. Right? So they correspond together. And everything in the middle is a warning to his son about having adultery with a woman that's not his wife. And there's all sorts of stuff in there. And when you read it, you first understand, okay, this is Solomon writing to his son, and you understand first the words. And then you back it out and you apply the principle of what he's saying, and you can apply the principle in many, many different situations. But when you go through Proverbs, you've got to approach it that way. Understand the words so you can understand the principle. And listen, sometimes in Proverbs, I'll be honest with you, Sometimes in Proverbs you read something and you say, I have no clue what that means. I have no idea what he's even talking about. And the problem is, culturally, we don't understand the words. We don't understand the reference. We don't understand what they're talking about. They spoke a different language. They lived thousands and thousands of years ago. Their life was very, very different than ours. It'd be like if you go to a foreign country today and you're... You're speaking to a group and you're bilingual and you're, you're giving a speech and you're talking and then you sort of lose your train of thought and you say to them in their own language, you say, oh man, the cat has my tongue. They're going to look at you and say, what? Did you just say a cat has your tongue? What are you talking about? Do you have a pet? You brought a pet cat? They have no category for what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm saying when I say the cat has my tongue. And sometimes in Proverbs, you read something and you say, I don't understand that. And it's a cultural issue. It's a language issue. It's a time issue. And you've got to study. You've got to look up commentaries. You've got to cautiously search on the Internet. You've got to use study Bibles. You've got to do something to try to figure out the words so then you can apply the principle. Okay? Two more thoughts about interpreting it. Right? Hermeneutics. Number four, I think this is. Proverbs are not absolute rules. They are not. You could say they're not absolute promises. You could say they're not ironclad set in stone. Okay? They are not these things. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Look at Proverbs chapter 1. Verse... 33, the last verse in Proverbs 1. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Do you see what Job's friends did with that verse? They made it an absolute promise, an absolute rule, right? And they went to Job and they said, hey, Job, you have disaster. That must mean that you haven't listened to God. And Job says what? Well, I don't think I've done anything specific to deserve this. And they say, no, you need to repent. You haven't been listening to God. That's why disaster came upon you. They take a general rule about life and they make it totally, totally absolute. Okay, so to bring it into our day, how do you apply Proverbs one thirty three to a Christian who gets cancer? That's a disaster. What do you say to them? Do you look at them and say, oh man, you should have been listening to God. This wouldn't have happened. No, you don't. And if you do, they should punch you in the face and say, that is not biblical wisdom. Absolutely not. And they may come back and say, oh, but I read Proverbs 133 in my quiet time. And you're so enlightened, you'll just kindly look at them with pity and say, oh, that's instructive wisdom. You need to go read reflective wisdom to balance it out. Right? You balance Proverbs 133 with the, the reflective wisdom of Job and Ecclesiastes. Another example, obvious, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 3 and 4.
Here you go. Health and wealth preachers is where they make their living. Proverbs 10, verse 3 and 4. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the craving of the wicked. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. You can do all sorts of damage with those verses. If you turn them into absolutes, they're true 100% of the time, every situation. Forget other circumstances or, or influencing factors. This is 100% sure. Well, what do you do with the people who won the Powerball? They may be hard workers, but they may be lazy. And this says the hand of, uh, the, hand of the diligent makes rich. And somebody who wins the Powerball will say, no, buying a lottery ticket made me rich. Or what do you do to our friends in Kenya who are hungry and they love Jesus, but they work their tail off to barely have enough food to survive? Do you look at them and say, well, you know, God wouldn't let the righteous go hungry. The Bible says that in Proverbs 10.3. You must not be very righteous if you're hungry. No, you don't. You understand that all things being equal, Proverbs 10.3 and 4 describes how life normally works. Okay, generally speaking, you look at the lazy man, and he's hungry. You look at the person who works hard, and he has enough to eat. You understand, generally speaking, God takes care of his people. It doesn't mean he gives them everything they think they need, everything we think we need in America, but it means God will provide for his people. But you also understand this is instructive wisdom, and you balance it with reflective wisdom. Okay, so Proverbs are not absolute promises. The last idea ought to be obvious. Proverbs are general rules for life. General rules for life. And the exceptions that you experience in life are the exceptions you find in Job or Ecclesiastes or elsewhere in the Bible. Those exceptions really prove the rule, right? Because when you find an exception, there's usually some sort of extenuating circumstance, something uh, that's not all things are not equal, something that has, has sort of changed the game and made the situation different. So you look at our friends in Kenya. You say, why are, why are these people, they're hard workers. Why are they hungry? You say, their government and their, their system of life is unbelievably corrupt. Unbelievably corrupt. And it is not set up in any way, shape, or form so that hard work pays off at all. And we, in America, we may feel like hard work doesn't pay off, but we have nothing to compare to what they're experiencing. And you say, well, why doesn't Proverbs 10.3 match their life? Well, there's other circumstances involved that have changed the game for them. The person who won the lottery, say they're not a hard worker, but now they're rich. Well, there's other circumstances you factor in here. But Proverbs is telling you this is how life generally works and these things are true because they are the norm there are exceptions but these are the norms now let me just give you one thought this is not on your outline but one thought about studying the book of proverbs obviously it has 31 chapters and so it is well suited to read a chapter a day and to cover it in a month if you wanted to study through the book of proverbs you probably heard that some of you have probably done that um, let me give you another suggestion, something that Brooke and I did a couple of years ago. Um, we went through the book of Proverbs, and we did it in the morning, and we did one, uh, one chapter a day for a month, and we read one verse at a time together out loud, and we took a pen and paper, and we categorized every verse in the book of Proverbs. You can buy this. That's fine. and You can use it as a resource, but we did it for personal study. And so we went through and we sat down and we said, okay, it's your day to read. So you start reading Proverbs 1, 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And we just wrote down, what is that verse about, the general topic? Is it about family? Is it about money? Is it about marriage? Is it about wisdom? Is it about foolishness? Is it about righteousness? Is it about wickedness? What is it about? And we went through and we did this every day for a month. And then when you're done, you have a list of what the book of Proverbs has to say about all of these different topics. And if you find yourself in a pickle and you need some truth that is generally true, generally descriptive of life, you get your list out and you say, man, finances are an issue for us right now. Let's read what the Bible has to say about finances. Or our marriage is in trouble. Let's go back and read 
what the book of Proverbs has to say about marriage. Or my kids are hoodlums. I need to go back and read what the Bible has to say about kids. And you read through everything you found about parenting. And you've got this resource. And I've used it a number of times. And so what I did tonight, there's so much in the book. We can't cover it all. What I did is I went back to my list that we made when we read through the book. And we put a category for each one. And I didn't count up exactly because that's a lot of counting. But I just sort of read through it. And I said, what are the three things that we found the most of? The three categories that we found more than anything else in the book. And then I'm going to give you those and we're going to read a verse in each one. Uh, Obviously, we could read tons of verses, but we're just going to read one verse in each one. And then one bonus category that I really like. So the first thing I found when we read through it is, surprise, surprise, wisdom. Verses about wisdom. And these verses, sometimes they use the, the word learning, sometimes they use the word discretion, sometimes they use the word understanding, sometimes they give you the negative of folly. And let me just give you one warning. Don't waste your time trying to parse these words and say, what's the difference between wisdom and understanding? What's the difference between wisdom and discernment? You're, you're missing it. Right? There's tons of Bible studies where you just get down in the weeds like that and you parse these words and meanings and original languages. I'm just telling you, that's fine, but pretty much those words all mean the same thing in the book at the end of the day. Right? Wisdom, discernment, understanding, knowledge. He's talking about the same thing throughout the book. Um, look at Proverbs 2. Proverbs 2. This is the parallel to James 1. Just draw a line from James 1 to Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and you treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then, if you do all these things, then... You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. That's a great summary verse for the whole book of Proverbs, saying, do you want to be a wise person? Do you really want wisdom? And are you willing to seek it? Not just to sit back and say, God, please make me wise, but are you willing to seek for it like you would seek for treasure? Are you willing to humble yourself and ask God to give you wisdom. And these verses say, if you do that, if you really want it, and you will seek for it, and you will ask God for it, if you're genuine in doing those things, then God will give it to you. He will give you wisdom. James says the exact same thing in the New Testament. Does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Let him not ask in doubt. Being a double-minded man, tossed back and forth by the waves, but ask believing that he will give that. Proverbs says the exact same thing right here. Um, A general definition of wisdom, you say, what is wisdom? Define it for me. Here's how I would define it. It is, number one, knowing God. Number two, knowing God's will. And number three, living your life in light of God's will. When Proverbs talks about wisdom, understanding, discernment, knowledge, insight, on and on and on, that's what it's talking about. Knowing God. Not knowing about God, but knowing Him personally. Knowing His will, and then living your life in light of God's will. And the the most confusing part of that definition is for you to say, what is God's will? How do I know God's will? And I'll just let you in on a secret. Almost always when the Bible talks about God's will, it's not talking about should you move to Dallas or Houston. It's not talking about should you go to UTPB or OC. I just, what is God's will for me? I can't decide. I don't want to be out of God's will. What if I go to OC and that's not God's will? That's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible is talking about God's moral will. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't lie. 
that is God's will for you. And in the New Testament, when it talks about this is God's will, Paul tells the Thessalonians, you want to know what God's will is? God's will for you is your sanctification. That's his will. Become more holy, following God, and do whatever you want to do. That's God's will for you. So wisdom in the book of Proverbs, knowing God, knowing God's will, and living your life in light of God's will. So lots of passages about wisdom. Second category that we found a lot of, closely, closely related to wisdom, is fearing God. And sometimes the exact words are used, fear God, and sometimes the idea is communicated in a different way. But lots of passages relating to the idea that you should fear God. Uh, passages in the book that describe God as the creator, as God uh, as sovereign, as God knowing everything, as God planning everything, as God being a God of justice, as God doing what's right. All these passages teaching us to fear God. And we read it earlier in the responsive reading, but look at Proverbs 3, 5 to 8. You know these verses, many of you do. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So there you go. The idea that you should fear God. Uh, in Proverbs says, you can't have wisdom if you don't fear God. And if you truly fear God, you will have wisdom. Those two things are connected in the book of Proverbs. Last category that I found most frequently, the third one I guess I should say, is family. And I'm using that as a big umbrella. I'm putting under family all the passages about adultery. All the passages, uh, Proverbs 31, uh, finding a virtuous wife. All the passages about parenting. All the passages about teaching your kids. All the passages about disciplining your kids. That's a big umbrella uh, for, for family, but... As one example, look at Proverbs 24, verse 3 and 4. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Um, and when you read that in the context of Proverbs, and you understand what it's talking about with the idea of house. He's not saying you got to be an understanding person to put up wall joists and trusses and to put a roof on and to frame up a door right. He's saying if you want to build a house, right, a family, it requires wisdom. It requires understanding. And it's not telling you here that if you're a knowledgeable person that you're going to have a lot of gold and silver in your house, but it's saying by knowledge the room's are filled with riches, precious riches, pleasant riches. Those may not be the riches of the world, but they are genuine, true, real riches. And so just one summary passage there about family. Last category. Maybe you could say this is the least frequently mentioned thing in Proverbs, but I want to talk to you about prayer. And I say that it's the least frequently mentioned because if you look at Proverbs 30, Verse 7 to 9, it is the only prayer in Proverbs. Only one prayer in the whole book. So there's passages like Proverbs 2 that say if you call out to God for wisdom, right? If you're praying to God for wisdom, he will give it to you. That's talking about prayer. It's not an actual prayer. This is a prayer. Uh, it's the words of Agur, the son of Jacob, Jacob, however you want to say it. Proverbs 30 and uh, look at verse 7, 8, and 9. This is an interesting prayer. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So, how many of you have ever heard of the prayer of Jabez? Okay, popular book. Um, I, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to give me thumbs up or down like we did earlier on whether you like the book. I'll just say that a lot of people hate it and a lot of people love it. And there's not a whole lot of middle ground 
on people wh what they think about the book. I don't think it's as bad as the haters think, and I don't think it's nearly as good as the lovers think. I'm kind of in the middle, j just read it and say, eh, okay. But I do think that if you're going to read that book and try to apply it to your life, the prayer of Jabez, you also ought to be willing to pray the prayer of Agur. Okay? Because the reality is, as Americans, we read the prayer of Jabez differently than almost any people that have ever lived on the planet Earth. We, re we cannot help but read the prayer of Jabez. And if you don't know what it is, you can Google it and look it up. We can't help but read it in terms of money. And so if you want to pray the prayer of Jabez, it's a prayer in the Bible, that's fine. You can pray it. Just be willing to look at Proverbs 30 and pray the prayer of Agur before you say, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay? And here's what he prays. He says, God, I have two things that I'm asking of you. The first thing he prays for is about falsehood and lying. Remove it from me. I want to be an honest person. I want to be a genuine person. I want to be a real person. I don't want falsehood or lying to be part of my life. And he's acknowledging, I need your help to do this. So what he's saying is, I have this in me. And I'm asking you for help. Remove it from me. Help me with this problem. Request two is about money. And his prayer is, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. That's not a very American prayer. That is not... Listen, I'm proud to be an American. Me and Lee Greenwood will stand up all day long, okay? But listen, this is not the American dream. It's not. The American dream, as it is popularly talked about, is about a little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. Better for your kids than for you. Better for your grandkids than for your kids. A little bit more. A little bit more. A little bit more. And this prayer says, don't make me poor. We like that part. I don't want to be poor. Amen. Don't make me rich. There are not many Americans that pray that. God, please give me a good day. Bless this food. And do not make me rich today. I don't want to be a rich person. I don't want to be poor, he says, but I also don't want to be rich. Give me what I need. And then he explains it. If I'm full, if I'm rich, if I have an abundance, I might be tempted to say, who is God? I might be tempted to say, I, I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps. I, I worked hard for this. God didn't give it to me. I earned every penny. I've met people that say that. You have too. I've worked for every penny that I have. I've done it. Those people have forgotten God. So he says, don't make me so rich that I rest in my riches and in my hard work and then I think that it's all of me. He says, also, don't make me so poor that I'm tempted to steal to meet my own needs because if I steal, then I profane your name. I might be tempted to sin because I don't have enough. Don't put me in that spot because I don't want to profane your name. Don't make me too rich because then I might forget you. Really what he's saying is, I want to honor you in my life. I don't want to have so much that I dishonor you. And I don't want to have so little that I dishonor you. And so his prayer is, give me what I need. No more, no less. Not just American. Sometimes we pick on America too much. That's, that prayer does just not line up with the wisdom of the world. It doesn't. Worldly wisdom is more, 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 a little bit more, right? It's the old American adage. How much money is enough money? How much? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. And this guy says, I don't want the more. I just want enough. Just what I need. You find that throughout the book of Proverbs. You find wisdom that clashes with the wisdom of the world, that just butts up against how the world thinks and how the world believes. And when you read this book, 
There's not a whole lot of stuff that points you straight to Jesus and the cross in the New Testament. But listen, when you read this book, and it's a book about wisdom, and the wisdom of this book just butts up against the wisdom of the world. It's a setup the whole time. It's getting you used to understanding God's ways are not the world's ways. And then when you get to the New Testament and you read 1 Corinthians and what Paul says to the Corinthians, your light bulbs start going off. And Paul says, look, the gospel is not wise according to the world. It's not powerful according to the world. The world thinks we're stupid for putting our hopes in a crucified, murdered man accused of, of being a criminal. The world says that is foolish and weak. And Paul says, by the world's standards, it is foolish and it is weak. But the foolishness of the world and the weakness of the world is the power of God and the wisdom of God for our salvation. And so when you read the book of Proverbs, all the way through, you're being set up. Your mind is being prepared to think, God's ways are not the ways of the world. God's wisdom is not the world's wisdom. God's strength looks differently than worldly strength. And when you come to the gospel of Jesus, it's radical and it's different and it doesn't fit with the wisdom of the world. But when you understand Proverbs, you're ready to accept that sort of message. One that everybody else thinks is foolish and one that everybody else thinks is weak. So there you go, book of Proverbs in a nutshell. Lots for you to study and dig around in. I will pray and then we will uh, have a, a, another focused time of prayer together. God, we're thankful for your word. We believe that it's true. We thank you for the book of Proverbs, and it's such a practical book, and it's such a, uh, a book that has application to everyday life. And Father, even as we come to the, the book of Proverbs for wisdom, we need wisdom in how to understand it, and how to read it, and how to interpret it, and how to apply it to our lives. Father, help us to balance it with what we see in Job, and what we see in Ecclesiastes, and what we see in real life. But Help us to hold on to these things and to believe that they're true. We're thankful for the good news about Jesus, and we know that the world laughs at it, that the world thinks it's foolish, that the world thinks it's weak. And Father, our confident trust is that it is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And so we rest in you, and we rest in the fact that your ways are not our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. And Father, even when we can't make sense of things and we don't understand things we trust you and we look to you we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus our Lord and our Savior amen